Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Good to share this spring day. Gorgeous day in Vancouver here in the downtown east side. And again, welcome to all of you family and uh, friends visiting. Uh, this morning, we're starting a new series uh, on the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is something we've never done, so it's a, it's a new thing for us to have a, a focused time. We're going to take about five weeks on looking at uh, the Holy Spirit. And so right away, we need to acknowledge there's probably a spectrum of response in even just hearing that this morning. There may be some of us who there's a deep yes, or maybe even a finally artisan worship. What's the deal? It's so chill, so mellow. And, and so this is signaling to you your opportunity to get your tambourine. <laughs> Next week, you are here with your flags and your shofar. And if you don't know what a shofar is, that's totally fine. Um, but but you, this signals finally, finally artisans moving in a, in a direction I can jive with. Or, or maybe some of you would say, I'm not really into the tambourines, but I have been praying. I've been praying for a, a move of the Spirit. I've been seeking God. I've, I've read about these outpourings of the Holy Spirit in, uh, throughout history, and I'd love to see something like that in my day. Um, and so whatever version of that is, there may be just a yes. For some of you, it may be just straight no. No. <laughs> no way, not interested. Um, I've been there before, I've done that, and there's likely many stories in this room, even this morning, where we could share stories where it was, there's hype, but it wasn't only hype, it was, maybe there's some manipulation, and maybe it wasn't only manipulation, but there was abuse, and so you've been in a charismatic tradition, perhaps. It wasn't just charismatic, but it was charismania. And so even, even the phrase Holy Spirit creates an allergy in you going, no, I'm, I'm good with some mellow tunes, a talk, uh, coffee, Julia's awesome announcements, and then that's it. I'm good. Um, why do we need to change this? So some of us may be yes, some may no, some may be just like, huh, what's the deal? It's not that big of a deal. I know Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Bible, but what's the big deal? And it may even come to us like this ad in my Instagram feed came to me last night of the Backblade, which is a, a particular razor for shaving uh, a back. And I had a few friends that I immediately knew what I was getting for Christmas for them. But um, it's almost see like the Holy Spirit or talk about the Holy Spirit like the Backblade where you go... That's kind of weird. Uh, it may be useful for those who are into that thing and think they need it, but more or less, it's an optional extra for the tryhards. And so it's just kind of a weird thing. Like, you don't really need it. It's optional, marginal at best. And yet, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. I'm looking at those words this week and go, wait, what? It's to our advantage. You're saying it's better that you go away, that you're not here in the, in the flesh. I can imagine a lot of things that would be better if you were here, Jesus. I can imagine you coming to the, to the job site I wouldn't mind a meal to pick your brain, hash a few things out. I've been wanting to ask you for a long time. I can imagine a lot of ways where it would be way better if you were here. And Jesus uses this word advantage. 
It's, it's not just like, don't worry, I'm sending in the second stringer. He's saying, no, it's better. It's to your advantage that I'm not here with you in person. Why? So I can send you the helper. Or in Greek, it's called paraclete. The, the one who comes alongside you. It's way more advantageous. And so these words come and you think, well, then what am I not getting that Jesus is getting? What am I not seeing that he's seeing if he's saying it's better, it's more advantageous? And so I'd like to hold that question and just to consider maybe I don't know what he's talking about. Maybe there's more going on than I've given the Holy Spirit credit for. And so that's why we're doing this series. As I said, five weeks, kind of like a Holy Spirit 101. Uh, there's tons that, that could be said, much more than we'll have time to get into in terms of gifts or the, the, this idea of baptism or immersion in the Holy Spirit or uh, prof- prophecy healing. The, the main goal for this series is to, to gain a new imagination for the Holy Spirit. And then out of that, new participation or new demonstration in the Holy Spirit. Now, I've spent time in uh, charismatic traditions. I moved from a Lutheran tradition to going to a charismatic home church. The first was, uh, you know, 59 minutes max, real neat and tidy, to these sprawling three-hour home church, four, six guitars out of tune, bongo drums. Um, amazing, amazing. But when I was in the charismatic tradition, there, there was a as we all do in our various streams and traditions, there was the, the pet passages that we love to go to. And one of them was where Jesus talked about old wineskins. And he'd, he'd talk about this new wine, that God always wants to give new wine, and new wine being the Spirit of God. And, he, and Jesus said, you don't put new wine in an old skin. Why? An old wineskin. Wine Why? Because that wineskin's already stretched out and expanded to hold. And so if you put the new wine in there, it's going to burst and it's going to break. Jesus says, nobody does that. You put it in a new wineskin. And so in the charismatic tradition, it was often saying, people, we need new wineskins. We've got to expand to this new move of God. And I think we're at an interesting moment in the charismatic tradition where, ironically, the charismatic tradition needs a new wineskin. And for many of us, we've been rebelling. Maybe, maybe for those of us who would have a profound no this morning, what we're reacting again actually isn't the new wine, but it's the skin, it's the form, it's the language, it's maybe the heavy-handedness that's come with the tradition. And so you go, well, maybe that's what I'm reacting against, and it's not so much the new wine, because we all love new wine in moderation. And so... Um, so, so let's, uh, let's pray and ask for God's help and, and uh, start. Jesus, we pray for help. Many of us come in this morning with a deep need for profound help. And it's hard to, to even raise our hopes that there could be one that you speak of that is called the helper, the one who comes alongside So I pray for the gift of faith this morning to hope and to trust and to maybe see that the thing I've been resisting is the wineskin and not the wine. Would you show us what you're like? I invite you here in the name of Christ. Amen. 
with just a few basic things, and then I want to do a quick overview and uh, mostly spend our time in John's gospel. But you may know the, both the Hebrew word and the Greek word for spirit, uh, ruach in the Hebrew and pneuma in the Greek. Both of these words are very earthy, raw, not the, the type of words we usually associate with spiritual. They, they have to do with wind, breath, even a gale. And so all of, all of these words, both ruach and pneuma, or wind or gust, gale, they, these words point to expressions of something that is great effectiveness. The wind does something to the tree. It bends it. It moves it. God's spirit is something that can have effect. The second thing we see when we talk about the idea of spirit is that it points to the energy or the, the characteristics of a thing or an individual as that individual expresses herself or himself in personal contact. We'd say, oh yeah, that's, so, that's the spirit of whatever it is we're talking about. It's the essence. And so if we were to kind of summarize this in a systematic theology way, we could say this. The Holy Spirit expresses the inner drive and desire. And I want us to hold on to those words this morning. The inner drive and desire of God in creation and in redemption and communicates God to us. So in the Old Testament then, Ruach, the Spirit of God, is this character, I don't know if you've read the Ark of the Old Testament, but it's this character that intermittently steps out of the shadows and does some stuff, comes and, and assists people, partners with people for the work God wants to accomplish at a time and in a place. And the Ruach, the Spirit of God, usually comes on a person in a locale, and, and then almost retreats back into the shadows. And so in the Old Testament, there is this growing yearning and longing for the Spirit to, to come, and to, to fully come in, in, in fullness. Um, and so here's a passage. This is Isaiah 44. This is page 504 on your chair Bible, if you'd like to go there uh, together this morning. This is Isaiah 44, starting in verse 1. And listen here for the yearning for uh, the Spirit. Isaiah 44, 1 to 3. But now listen, Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, who I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants, and they'll spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. So this is just one. There's many. One of the Old Testament promises of the Spirit. We see this in other places like Joel. But often similar language. The Spirit is like water. And there's going to come a day. The promise is looking forward to a time in the future where God's Spirit, which is like water, will be poured out. It will be uncontainable. It will flow into the cracks. It won't be just located in, in, uh, in, in a place or with one person. But it's going to be for all people. And that God's desire is to give his spirit, God's drive and desire to all people. 
So let's fast forward then, knowing there's many places in the Old Testament pointing to this hope that the Spirit of God will come like water. John 7, page 745. John 7, 37 to 39. And we're picking up here in the story, which is called the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And it's a seven-day feast, almost like a big camping trip where people would come back to Jerusalem, this big camping trip, kind of like Coachella, with, but with better music and probably more STDs, but similar. And so they would come together, this big camping trip, where they would, they would uh, tent out together, and they would remember how God delivered them out of Egypt. They'd remember the exodus, but they'd also yearned to a day where God would do a new exodus and deliver his people. And so on each of the seven days of the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, a priest would draw water from the Pool of Siloam. And this was uh, down kind of at the bottom of Jerusalem, which was on a hill, is on a hill. And, and the priest would, would bring it up in this, a golden bowl or a flagon. I just wanted to use the word flagon. Don't get to use that often. And uh, bring it in this procession as they would come up the hill, this brimming bowl of water. And, and there'd, there'd be this procession up to the temple and the crowds would be there, likely thousands of people there singing. The sounds of trumpets and rabbinical tradition has it that the crowds would sing the words of Isaiah 21.3, with joy you shall draw water out of the wells of salvation. And so you got this priest marching up and it's loud and there's excitement. And he comes and he pours that water on top of the altar. And we know from rabbinic writings that this was a symbolic act prophetically pointing to the day that Isaiah was talking about and Joel was talking about that, that God would pour out his spirit like water. The Holy Spirit will be poured out with water. And it's here that Jesus gets up and says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So Jesus stands up. Thousands of people are listening. And he's saying, what you've been waiting for, what Isaiah has been pointing you toward. Now this is a bold claim. I'm here. I am here, and Jesus directs the attention to himself as the one who is going to give what ultimately satisfies. And we know it's the Spirit. How do we know? Because we just keep reading. See how smart I am there? Verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that same time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been Glorified. So if you're in the crowd listening to what Jesus is promising, you've got Isaiah and Joel ringing in your ears. You've got this thirst that you've carried with you to the Feast of Booths. And, and, and Jesus is saying the Spirit of God is like what? Living water. is a river. But where is God wanting to put the river? You have to say, inside me? In me? That I wasn't expecting. God wants to put the river in me. And this Holy Spirit, the drive and desire of God coming into my life, then what do you think God would want to touch? My drive, my desire. So you, you mean God's putting the river in me. So we're going to spend a couple weeks looking at the person and the work of 
the Holy Spirit. And this gets developed throughout the New Testament. There's many metaphors beyond uh, river. But if we were just to do a quick overview, and by quick, I mean really quick. So hang on. A couple things that we learn about the Holy Spirit as this gets developed. That the Spirit, as we've already heard, is called the helper, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. Now how good would it be to have the God of the universe say to you, I'm interested in coming alongside you to help you. Now, you're impressed with Siri. No one's impressed with Siri, okay? (laughs) But how much better than Siri, this sense of I am coming alongside and I'm helping you. I have friends this week, we were with our friends, uh, Jonathan and Annie, and uh, they've got five kids. I've also got twins. So their life is insane. And they've just started this practice where they, one of them re-enters the home and when the other one's been holding it down for a while. When the one who re-enters the home, the first thing they say rather than like, what is going on? Or who let the bomb off in this place? Or whatever it is, the first thing they're trying to say to each other is, how can I help? And they said, it's changed the tone of the home. You come in low as a helper. How can I help? What does that do to our imagination for those of us who have developed an allergy to any spirit of God talk? If you knew that what Jesus is talking about, this may not be the tradition you received, but this is what Jesus is talking about, is that the spirit is the one who comes alongside saying, how can I help? The spirit is also one. Romans 8 talks about the spirit who comes along and groans beside you as you are in the whole cosmos is in the pains of childbirth. The spirit comes along beside you and you're wanting this, the, the new thing to emerge and the, the Holy Spirit comes beside you and intercedes for you. In the Celtic tradition, one of the names for the Holy Spirit was the midwife of change. How beautiful is that? A Holy Spirit who is like a midwife who comes alongside and helps the birthing process of not only the new creation, but the new you. We know that the Holy Spirit is in many ways a matchmaker. Romans 5 talks about it's the Holy Spirit's job to shed the love of God in your heart. Now, if your heart is like mine, my heart is prone to wander, to forget, and to grow cold. And the, one of the, the job descriptions of the Holy Spirit is to find you, to put the love of, to shed the love of God so you remember that you are in intimate relationship with God. This is a spirit who is a matchmaker. The spirit who is an advocate. When there's nobody speaking up for the little people and, and the oppressed, nobody's standing up to speak for you. There is one, the Spirit, who advocates on behalf of the least and the last and the lost. The Spirit who communicates. Jesus says in John 16, he's like, I've got way more I want to tell you. And I like ran out of time. But I'm trusting the Spirit to communicate this to you. He will listen in to the, the conversation I'm having with the Father. He won't speak on his authority. He'll, he'll share what he's hearing uh, between me and the Father. God is a communicative God. He's a word of God. There's much more to say. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us. We talk about how the Holy Spirit empowers people, gives them power where they don't have it. We see in the life of Peter where he is so scared to stand up for Jesus when a little girl says to him, aren't you one of his disciples or his followers? And he says, "Uh uh-uh. 
And then a couple weeks later, after he's received the Holy Spirit, he's up front doing the sermon, preaching in the public square about who? About Jesus. Where does that kind of power come from? To, to rise over a crippling fear. It's the Holy Spirit. We could go on and on. The Spirit who creates and who comforts and who guides. Just in case you were getting worried that I was going to expand all of them. We're going to go quicker. Who convicts and advocates. Let's get that in there twice. And who gifts and who teaches and who sustains and who satisfies. And so if we were to summarize, what is this river, this water? Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? The promise is of an ongoing, interactive experience in the life of God. God's putting the river in you to do what rivers do, to resource and to bring nourishment and to keep alive and to provide power and for a place where you can rest and relax and maybe even go boating. I don't know, it's not in there, but I'm going with that metaphor. The the Spirit of God is like a river inside you and makes it possible for you, for me to experience the resources of God, the power of God, the character of God, the friendship of God in real time in my life here and now. I don't know if you've noticed, I've been trying to use the word experience just to kind of push on something there because the word's gotten a bad rap. When I first started following Jesus, I was taught to put my faith in the facts and the feelings will follow. And there was a little train diagram with facts, and then you put your faith up to that and your feelings. And so this suspicion of emotion or feelings, a suspicion of experience, or as trained to think rightly, but feeling rightly or sensing rightly or intuiting rightly or experiencing rightly really wasn't part of the deal. Just think. Get your doctrine right. But I think authentic, the, the authentic relationship that we're being invited to in is holistic and involves the totality of your being. This is why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with just your theological education and your mind. No, with your whole being, your whole being, your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, every aspect of you, emotional, spiritual, physical, intellectual, know God in those places. I like how uh, one British author put it this way. He says, all the metaphors that describe the Holy Spirit may give an indication of how we experience him. Gentle dove, purging fire, elusive wind, cleansing, satiating water, strengthening comforter. We may may expect mountaintop experiences of God, but we also must expect to experience God in the mundane. Encounters may be a divine transcendence, but they may also include a sense of divine absence. Most common will be a subtle accompanying presence through the long, hard, faithful road of obedience. But I believe that an inner witness, a felt Christ, an own belief, is to be normative. So I'm pushing back a little bit on the, the, uh, the sense that experience isn't part of it. I think that's part of the promise of the Holy Spirit, that you will get to experience the love of God, that you will get to experience your adoption into God's family, that you will get to experience power over fear like Peter. And this is the promise. So then the question becomes, are you thirsty? If the promise is of a river inside you, are you thirsty? 
you may say, yeah, actually, thanks for asking. I'm actually really thirsty. I've, I've been in church now for a while, but I'm still thirsty. I'm super involved, but I live with this nagging sense that there's got to be more. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely thirsty. Or if, if I was to be honest, I'd say my soul's thin, and I'm mostly here because I want my kids to go to church. Or I'm mostly here because I would like to find someone to have kids who then could go to church. <laughs> or, or you might say, yeah, if I was honest, I really once experienced this stuff. I, I knew the love of God. There was a season in my life where I walked in friendship with God and it almost seemed way easier than it is now. I don't want to return back to the good old days because I know I can't, but yeah, I'm thirsty for something like that, but here... Or maybe you're saying, like, I, I know how to parse the Greek, and, and I know all about the paraclete, and I could do a way better job than you're doing now on, on teaching about the Holy Spirit. But if I was to be honest, I know how to teach about the Holy Spirit, but when it comes down to my actual experience of him, I'd have to say, not much. And for, for how many of us does life fall into this, this heartbreaking kind of equation? Like where it's, I thought blank would fix blank, but I'm still thirsty. Like I thought, I thought the promotion would fix my sense of insignificance, but I got it and I'm still thirsty. Or I thought getting married and having a lot of kids would fix my loneliness this one's touching too close to home, but I'm, I'm still thirsty. Or, or however you would fill in the blanks. I thought, I thought this would do it, but here I am. I'm still thirsty. And I don't often get to quote Billy Graham, but I'm going to hear because I think it's, this is really interesting given Billy Graham's um, global ministry, since he's been in a lot of nations around a lot of people. I think that gives him a good insight into the condition of our thirst. This is what Billy says. Everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They're hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected. And they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see this, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the, the hope of a river inside you. And it's one thing to see it, maybe even to believe it, maybe even to teach it. It's another thing, as we're saying, to lay hold of it, to experience it, and to flow in it. And there's often, often a big gap there. So how do we address the gap? And that's, that's the hope for us as a church. By God's grace, by God's activity, that gap will start to close between what I espouse and what I experience. I want to share with you quickly a passage of Scripture that has been uh, disrupting my life since October. This is John 4. This is page 741. You may know this is the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman where Jesus is coming through 
Samaria, and he stops at the well, and he encounters this woman there, and he asks her for a drink. And picking up in verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Okay, first clue here, we're talking about thirst. Sir, the woman said, You've nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, did you hear there this twofold promise? First, the promise, you will be satisfied. This is an audacious promise. He says, you will never thirst again. And the second promise is that this water will create a spring that wells up to eternal life in you. So you've got a promise of satisfaction and a promise of a spring. And so, of course, the woman wants this. Who wouldn't want this living water? And so she says, verse 15, sir... Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Verse 16, Jesus says, go call your husband and come back. Now, Jesus' response is significant. Right now, the reason she can't get this water is because she's been going to different wells. And Jesus names the pseudo-well for this woman and calls her first to address the fake well. And for this particular woman, her fake well was men. String of relationships, string of marriages. And so Jesus is holding out this promise of living water. You, the hunger of your heart being satisfied and, and God placing a spring in you. And she, of course, I want it. And Jesus says, yes, but we got to address the pseudo-wells first. And so here we are, John 4, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about water, and we're talking about men and relationships. And Jesus and this woman is having, we'd probably say, like a spiritual conversation of some kind. But spirituality or, or spirit isn't about going to church or praying or meditating or reading spiritual books It's far more basic. Long before any of that stuff, what being spiritual is or spirituality is, what we do with our loneliness. Spirituality is what we do with our unrest and our longing and our thirst. It's what you do with that thirst. And so one author, I like uh, how Ron Rollheiser does this. He compares two uh, different women that we, I think, all know. Mother Teresa and Janis Joplin. And so he looks at these two, and he looks at what's the spirituality. Now, we've just said spirituality is what you do with your thirst, with your restlessness, and your hunger. And Rollheiser says, few of us would consider Mother Teresa as an erotic woman. He said, yet she was very erotic, though not necessarily, he said, in the Freudian sense of the word, but she was erotic because she was a dynamo of energy. She was filled with longing and passion. And she, and she was a single woman, and, and she may have looked frail and meek, but just ask anyone who ever stood in her way. She was a human bulldozer dedicated to God and the poor. 
And everyone considered Mother Teresa a saint. Why? Well, because a saint is someone who's learned how to channel the, the hunger, learned how to channel the thirst and the longing. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard defined a saint as someone who can will the one thing. And this is what Mother Teresa did. She willed the one thing, and she dedicated her life to God and the poor, and this was her signature. This was her spirituality. This is what she did with her thirst. Now, if we were to look at Janis Joplin, who died overdose, age 27, and not many would say, oh, that's a spiritual woman, but she was deeply spiritual. People think of her as the opposite of Mother Teresa, but in many ways, they're the same. Joplin was not so different in that she, she had a, a, a ton of longing in her, but what was different was she could not will the one thing. And so her great energy went out in every direction, eventually created an excess and a tiredness that led to an early death. So these activities, a total giving over to creativity, performance, drugs, booze, sex, coupled with neglect of rest, were her spirituality. That's what she did with her longing. That was her spirituality. It's how she channeled her thirst. And in her case, the end result was not a healthy integration, but a dissipation. Where she lost the things that hold a person together, the glue. Uh, the scripture calls it Holiness. It broke apart under too much pressure. Both spiritual women. I like This is a longer quote, but stay with me. This is Ron Rollheiser. He says, Most of us are quite like Mother Teresa in that we want to will God and the poor. We do will them. The problem is that we will everything else as well. Thus, we want to be a saint, but we also want to feel every sensation experienced by sinners. We want to be innocent and pure, but we also want to be experienced and taste all of life. We want to serve the poor and have a simple lifestyle, but we also want all the comforts of the rich. We want to have the depth afforded by solitude, but we also do not want to miss anything. We want to pray, but we also want to watch television, read, talk to friends, and go out. Small wonder, life is often a trying enterprise and we're often tired and pathologically overextended. Every choice is a renunciation indeed. To choose one thing is to turn one's back on many others and to marry one person is to not marry all the others. To have a baby means to give up certain things and to pray may mean missing television. No wonder we struggle so much with commitment. So it's not easy to will the one thing. And the danger is that we, I think particular danger for us city folk, is that we end up Janis Joplin-like, good-hearted, highly energized, and driven to drink it all in. And have the danger of falling apart and becoming disintegrated. So John 4 continues, and in verse 28, there's this almost a throwaway line. After Jesus and this woman have this encounter, it says this, Then, leaving the jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I did. She leaves the jar. Again, almost like a throwaway line, but it's significant. Why? Because there's two ways to drink. 
There's two ways to drink. For her, her drinking consisted in trying to fulfill her longing and her thirst through a pseudo-well. Through, through this jar represented all of her passion and longing being directed at men in a string of relationships. But now she's just met this man who knows her, who she experiences intimacy, and so she no longer le- needs that jar. She leaves the jar. There's two ways to drink. Ephesians 5 talks about don't be drunk with wine. Don't get filled up on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Two ways to drink. There's a jar that, that holds the, the, the ways I've been trying to address my longings. And so this morning, as we come into this series, it may just the simple thing may just be pay attention to your drinking habits. Could it be that the reason I'm so empty is because I'm just so full? I'm so full of the pseudo-wells. I don't just have one jar. I've got a string of them. I'm carrying them everywhere. Could it also be that this could be my time to leave the jar? What if we heard... The question, are you thirsty? Not as like, are you thirsty because you better be? Or in, or in some, again, heavy-handed way, are you thirsty for me? What if you heard it in the context of hospitality? When you go over to a friend's house and they say, what are you having? You thirsty? What can I get you? How can I serve you? Are you thirsty What if you heard this invitation from Jesus as if he's to say, I have so much good stuff on tap for you. I have so much through the Spirit, new power, new comfort, new victory, so much. What are you having? Are you thirsty? I think the answer for us as a church, we'd have to say, yeah, we are. We're thirsty. There are stories being written all over this church and in this neighborhood of the Holy Spirit doing stuff. And we catch glimpses of them and glimmers of them, and it almost creates more thirst. You're like, yes, God, more. I uh, took this picture after church a couple weeks back. I asked them if I could, the people in it, if I could show it. And I, I love, particularly on the left-hand side, the broom. This is during cleanup and teardown. There's not many people left after a gathering. It's in the, in the midst of cleanup where seeking God is happening. A thirst is being directed and channeled as a group together towards God. This is a growing culture of encounter. You see that and you say, more, God, we, we want more. Yes, we're thirsty. We want stories of your spirit uh, being written all over the pages of our community. Stories of people being, because of the Holy Spirit, being more motivated by curiosity and fear and finally taking that venture into that entrepreneurial effort and dream that God's put in you years ago. Finally, you're saying yes. We dream of new stories where those who are far from God, whether that's those of us in this room or friends connected to us in this room, where those who are far from God hear a prophetic word. Like that woman says, come meet a man who knows me where the secrets of our hearts are addressed and go, surely God's in our midst. More stories of the power of God to heal as well as the power of God to sustain when healing doesn't come. Are you thirsty? You know, I, I, I really am 
I really am. I'm thirsty for reconciliation in this neighborhood, a kind of reconciliation that none of us can muster or organize or strategize for. Thirsty for my friend's profound sense of abandonment to be healed by not only the presence of the Holy Spirit, but a community filled with that spirit of love. Thirsty to encounter God in the mundane and the non-heroic moments of the week. So as we start this series, I think the starting place is really with our drinking habits. I think that's the starting place. And so the invitation stands this morning. I'm going to read it to you one, one more time from Jesus. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Friends, here's the promise. And we lay hold of the promise by leaving the jar behind to take hold of this promise. And I think there's three things, really simple things. The first is to believe, to trust that there is such a thing as a river and that God wants to set it in you, to take hold of that promise. This is what Jesus says, those who believe in me. Second thing is just to come. Come, show up. Come, and particularly to Jesus. Those of us who are, are well-trained drinkers know our favoring watering holes. We know, we already know how to do this, to approach the invitation this morning. And this may actually be about your drinking. I'm not speaking metaphorically. Maybe it's, maybe it's time to trade it in for a season or maybe just for good. That's not coming from me, so that's why I'm saying maybe. But maybe it's an actual straight-across trade, like the joy and the community and maybe the courage I get from drinking. I'm trading that in to see if there's potential for me to get those things from the Holy Spirit and to find out if this is real or not. Maybe it's a different jar for you, but the invitation is to come to Christ who's saying, I want to put the source in you, the river of God in you. And the third thing is drink. Take it in. Drink deeply, friends, so that we can flow freely. I'd like to pray, and then we'll come to the table. Jesus, thank you for your invitation that still stands. Thank you that it says anyone. Thank you that there's no bias or prejudice or filter or ranking order. You say anyone who's thirsty, we come to you. Would you show us how to do this? For those of us, maybe for the first time, for some of us who've been holding out, Will you help us, give us faith to believe that this promise still stands, that we can come to you and that we can drink. Teach us how to drink deeply, to take into ourselves, into our very bodies, your spirit. And we ask for that without coercion or hype in the midst of a honking car horn. We ask you, would you show us your Holy Spirit? Would you show us how it's to our advantage that you're not here? We pray for a, a new imagination.
for how to come to you and to drink and to flow in the Holy Spirit and that we can cast off the old wineskins and receive something new. Pray that you and you alone uh, would do this in our midst. As we come to the table, we're reminded that we are people of encounter, people of tangibility, and that Christ has given us the bread and the wine as a reminder and an invitation to participate and share in his life. And so let's rehearse the gospel together this morning. Please pray we're indicated in the bold print.